0: Our Father, you are merciful to us uh, every day, and uh, we don't see that at times, um, but <clears throat> we're like children that don't necessarily and often don't perceive the uh, the care of mom and dad. So forgive us uh, when we're ungrateful, and uh, we are thankful for your mercies, which are new every morning, as uh, Jeremiah spoke those words in the middle of of a deep uh, lamentations in the captivity and some of the darkest moments are where those words were spoken, Lord. So help us call that to mind. And uh, we thank you that you're committed to us and uh, remind us, Lord, of that. Uh, once again, give us a childlike faith that doesn't doubt mom and dad's Commitment to them, they just assume it, rightfully so. Lord, you are you are the perfect Father, so help us uh, honor you in in those ways. Lord, we pray for Gerald, uh, as Alexis has shared this evening of this terrible, terrible uh, headache and requiring a certain type of diagnostics. Lord, we pray pray for our dear brother that you would give him mercy and make him strong and heal him, Lord, as, as we know you're able to do. Thank you for those that have been recovered, Lord, uh, <clears throat> and for the life that you give us. We pray for the spiritual warfare that rages in our hearts and minds, Lord, at times, that you would direct us to trust you and to walk by the Spirit, we thank You for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Your new covenant people. Uh, streams in the desert, Lord, that that's what we need. We need water in the desert parts of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so we are working our way through the New Testament. We're in the book of Acts, which is really exciting to see Christ beginning to build His church. I uh, didn't, didn't uh, waste much time. Uh, after ten, day, 10 days after he ascended, we come into Pentecost and the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we are. We were last week and we'll be there again this week right here on our chart. Uh, Pentecost, tongues, a conversion of 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. So we stopped last week right at the bottom of page 273. And we were discussing the three supernatural signs that occurred on that day of Pentecost. One of them was the sound of a mighty rushing wind Uh, in the room they were gathered. And, of course, wind equals pneuma or breath, which is spirit. So that loud sound of a mighty rushing wind, basically, we would understand that that was an outward sign of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's been poured out, and uh, he's arrived. And then there was a second sign, the, the tongues of fire. We, we talked about that. The tongue's the organ of speech. And the idea there is, is those, that, those apostles and 120 disciples, they are going to be able to prophesy, and they're going to speak the word of God. And, and the tongues testify to that. A tongue is the organ of speech. And then the fire, there's going to be uh, blessing and judgment. And we work that out. The symbolism of fire in relation to uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we had to go back to, who would we have to go back to when we were studying that? That helped us with the Holy Spirit and fire in your New Testament. Is that you, Jack? Jack gets it again. (laughs) It was was John the Baptist. The one who's coming after me is greater than I. And what did John say? He will what? Baptize Baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit Spirit and fire. Okay, it was John the Baptist. And and from that, we see that the fire means judgment. He's going to separate the wheat in his barn. and, And when they thresh the wheat... Uh, it makes the chaff, and then they they burn up the chaff. And so, Messiah comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, and that has begun on the day of Pentecost. That baptism of the Holy Spirit, there it was on the day of Pentecost. Okay. So, the third supernatural sign, and we're on to that this evening, is they were all filled... I'm in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 now. Uh, let me let me get over there. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave, gave them utterance. So the sound was loud and demanded everyone's attention inside. And we're going to think about some of the practical details here first. Uh, the sound was very loud. It demanded everyone's attention inside and also apparently outside the house or wherever they were staying. We don't know where they were for this. It's likely they were still in that upper room where they were 120. But but we don't know for certain. And so the sound, though, attracted a large group of people. And Luke describes them in chapter 2, verse 5 and there were many and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation and when this sound occurred the multitude came together and were confused and so forth so sometime between verses 5 and 6 they must have went out of the house wherever they were and people outside the house as well as inside the house were hearing this sound and the disciples come out of the house and they run into these people that are outside that also heard this sound. That's kind of how it must have must have played out. And they're all hearing this sound and, and they don't know what it is or what it means. And now let's talk about here a little bit. Uh, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So what that is a reference to is the these are Jews and proselytes. Uh, now let me back up. <clears throat> uh, mm. Oh, I know, I know the problem. I got some notes on the bottom, bottom bottom of the page here, below the figure. So uh on the right hand side here. Yeah, uh the I'm on page two seventy-four, the upper left. Devout men of every nation. Dwelling in Jerusalem. This is referring to Jews who were born in those nations. And sometime during their adult life, they moved to Jerusalem. Their native language was not Aramaic, but acquired in the nation where they were born. So that's this first group here. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So, they, they, they relocated after their birth, and they were born in native countries, and that was their native language. Now, combined with these devout men, there were many Jewish pilgrims and Gentile proselytes who came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and to attend the feast. They too would know at least one of the languages of the nations. They're dwelling in those nations outside of Judea, but they come to the Feast of Pentecost. And so they would certainly be bilingual. We would use that expression. They would know Aramaic, and uh, uh, most of them probably would, and, or, or they know the language of their nation. So, so we have this mixture of a people there in Jerusalem. And uh, <clears throat> there could be as many as a million pilgrims on Pentecost that would come. Uh, it's a huge number that would come to this feast, on these pilgrim feasts. And uh, <clears throat> Perhaps it's not that large, but there's some references to it that that are maybe that large. Some think Josephus maybe exaggerated some, but even if Josephus exaggerated some, there were a lot of of Jews and proselytes who came to the pilgrim feast, and that's what's happening here on on the day of Pentecost. Now, Luke describes that scene in chapter 2, verses 7 through 13, Uh, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phyrega, Pamphylia, Egypt... And the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Okay. So that's what they're hearing. They're hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language or in their native tongue. The map. Uh, oh, you know what? Let me throw the map up here. <clears throat> the map I printed that out for you, but here's the map. Let's see if I can make it a little bigger. That gives you an idea. The re- the red lines on this map are the pilgrim. See that the pilgrim routes, and they all there. You know, there's arrows. They're all heading down here to Jerusalem, and uh, Rome seems to be the furthest. <laughs> And they would, they would go by sea. They would actually, you know, register or get a reservation on, the, on, on seafaring vessels. And they would go by sea and end up down here in Jerusalem. We have people coming from Cyrene, uh, from Egypt, Alexandria, all of these places. If you go through Luke's list that I just read, you can find all of those places on this map. And uh, it's quite, uh, quite impressive Now, the other thing that this map kind of shows us is the curses relating to idolatry in the Mosaic Covenant surely had gone into effect. And that's how these Jews ended up in all these places because, of course, the Lord said in those Mosaic Covenant curses that he would scatter them over the face of the earth and there's no more vivid example of that than looking at this map they 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 all of these uh, Jews are not dwelling in the promised land they they were cast out and they're scattered all over the face of the earth and yet many of them are still desiring to worship Yahweh you know the God revealed in the Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants so <clears throat> Uh, so the map attests to to the Lord doing this. Uh, the point of the list that that uh, Luke gives here, the point of this list is to stress the miracle that they are witnessing. That's the point of the list, and that's, the miracle is as we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So at this point, let's do a little vocabulary work on the two terms that are used here in Acts chapter 2. There's two terms there. I'm on page 275 now on the left-hand column. There's two terms used here. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, dialectos, dialectos, where we get our word dialect, I'm sure. And the other is glossa. Uh, <clears throat> and so in verses 6 and 8, um we have the greek term there is the dialectos okay we are speaking our own language in verse 6 and in verse 8 each in our own language okay so that's that's dialectos in verse 11 we hear them speaking in our own tongues that's glossa okay those are the two words <clears throat> that are involved here. So the Greek term dialectos is used in 6 and 8, which means language of a nation or a region. And uh, BDAG means, that's the Bauer, Danker, Arndt, Gingrich uh, lexicon, Greek lexicon of the New Testament. <clears throat> it's pretty much the standard one that most New Testament students use. That's their definition. So you see it's translated here as uh, language which is which is correct that's just fine now in verse eleven glossa is used which is translated uh, as tongues and that's that's a fine that's a fine translation because glossa refers to the organ of speech in a literal physical sense if we said you know stick out your tongue we would say stick out your glossa <laughs> okay that That's how that term is used. It's used physically of the organ of speech or tongue. But it can also be used for the sounds of speech, you know, that the tongue produces. The sounds of speech that the tongue produces. And so we use the word tongue in English in the very same way. Glossa is being used here. We can say, we can ask, what is your native tongue? That's, that's common English and everybody in this room probably would know what we were saying what is your native tongue meaning what is your native language okay we we use it that way and that's how that's how it's being used here uh, <clears throat> so the various the the various regions mentioned have now this is key have their own tongue all right so their own means it is definitely here referring to language, right? By them being in Pamphylia and having their own tongue means their own language. It doesn't mean they're speaking in an angelic tongue in Pamphylia. So it's their own tongue, which means their own means native born, means the tongue of that region in which they were born. So... Uh, so there, in this passage, you know, these things of course have gotten controversial. But in this passage, there's no doubt that all three of those references are to known languages. Okay, you got that? You, you see, uh, dialectus. There's no question about that. Language is that's what it's referring to.
1: Uh, right. <clears throat>
2: There may be lots of opinions, but I want your opinion on this. Is the languages that were spoken only languages that were known and there were no languages that might have existed elsewhere that no one knew? In other words, it was a a defined limit on the number of tongues, dialectos, that were listed uh, when it says that uh, they began to speak with other tongues, that it wasn't, you know... Modern English, or you know, some other ancient tongue that no one was aware of—that they were all known tongues for those people.
0: Well, I, if I understand
2: the question,
0: are, are you asking that the the ones listed here?
2: Well, in ver- I'm particularly thinking in verse four when it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Yes. That the limit on tongues, is it your opinion that um, it was limited to the tongues of that day and age and the regions uh, or that are included?
0: Okay, I think here, uh, I wouldn't, I think certainly not every language is represented here, but I think all of the tongues spoken here were... Languages that somebody in the audience recognized. Well, I mean, that's what it says. We all, we all, I mean, look what the text says. Uh, Where is it? Uh, Yeah, uh, how is it that, how is it we hear each in our own language? So, um, in which we were born. So everyone there is hearing what they're saying in their own language in which they were born. So there's somebody in that crowd that's that's hearing every one of those every one of those every one of the every one of the uh, tongues that the disciples are saying. Somebody in that crowd is hearing them. I mean that that that's that's the whole point. Um, and then. We're, we're given these examples, so see they were all amazed, saying to one another, "Whatever could this mean are are you saying there is an argument that says um, they were speaking in like English or something and and nobody is uh,
2: not necessarily english, but uh it's some of the critic- higher criticism of Uh, When the Bible says uh, in verse, I think it's five, it says every nation under heaven. In other words, were there um, Norse Vikings there and were there barbarians and Germanic tribes there? Because those languages were known to Romans, but are they part of that uh, map of people that came to Jerusalem or not?
0: That's another one of those insisting on a precision in the New Testament that's just not there, you know. Taking every nation under heaven uh, to to mean literally every single nation anywhere on the face of the globe—they didn't even know <laughs> those places at that time. So, no. <laughs> I mean that that would that would be my my response. Um, so. I was trying to think of another illustration, but it's not coming to me now. So uh, so that's the two terms. That's what's going on here. These are native languages, and you really know it's native languages because of our own, okay, our own tongue. And that can't possibly mean something other than their language in which they were born. Right, my own tongue is English. <laughs> my parents' own tongue was Italian. In the nation they were born, so um, so the case here is strong that, that these are these are languages that, <clears throat> and that's the whole point. Why why uh, uh, Luke lists them all out here? Uh, so they're okay. Uh, others were mocking and said they are full of wine that 's an interesting statement. Um, I tried to read on that a little more today. Uh, they were mocking and saying they were drunk now perhaps perhaps there were Jews native to Jerusalem who didn't understand any of the foreign languages spoken because you know to to see this gift you would think there's no way being drunk is going to produce this phenomena i mean you know i mean you just try to think through this you know here you got a guy speaking in russian and you got a guy speaking in japanese and you got a guy speaking in spanish And you're observing this, and you know that this guy's understanding the Russian, this guy's understanding the Spanish, and this guy's understanding the English. And you say, well, they're drunk. I mean, why why could being drunk enable that to happen? So I don't know. And I didn't make this suggestion. One of the commentaries made the suggestion that maybe there were some Jews in this audience that they didn't know any of these foreign languages. So it does sound like babbling to some Jews in this audience that don't know any of these foreign languages, and all they know is Aramaic and Hebrew. And so, I I don't know. That's all I can offer on that. I'm sure Luke uh, recorded this um, correctly. Um, But many others were amazed, the majority were amazed and perplexed. Saying to one another, you know, what could this mean? So these are uh, believing in the reality of the miracle here, and they're wondering the significance of the of the miracle. And you know, that's a good thing to wonder when you see a miracle, right? What's the significance of this miracle? Now, this is a pretty unusual miracle, uh, and they're wondering what that what that could mean. So. Um, All right, Uh, any other thought or question on that? And we'll move on if if there isn't. Okay, so well, Peter is going to explain the miracle. And the miracle has to do with the promise of the Holy Spirit, beginning there in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven... Okay, so there's 12 now. Matthias is in this group with, with the other 11. So we're back to our number 12. Raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now again, we don't know where they are. But there's got to be a lot of space <laughs> because by the time Peter's done... They're going to baptize three thousand people. <laughs> so, um, so Peter is now going to address. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour. I guess there's nobody that drank in the morning in that culture, but that's probably typical of us today. Most people who get drunk do it in the evening or the latter hour. I'm not being. I'm not being. Um, cavalier about that so Peter just says it's very unreasonable for you to think these guys are drunk because people in our culture uh, <clears throat> aren't usually drunk at the third hour of the day and then Peter tells them what this is but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and he starts quoting Joel so Peter knows the Old Testament already and of course Peter's under the influence and the blessing of the Holy Spirit as well. But Jesus has been teaching them, remember, during that 40 days <laughs> that everything in that Old Testament is about him and needs to be understood and approved, uh, <clears throat> understood and, and brought. So Peter goes on to Joel, and this is uh, Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. He quotes it uh, almost, almost verbatim. And it shall come to pass, in the last days, says God. So the person speaking in this Joel prophecy is Yahweh, or God. In the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And uh, all flesh here, I believe, also includes the Gentiles, But the next phrases make it very clear that everybody, doesn't matter whether you're great or a slave, you're going to receive this blessing. Look what he does. What the Joel prophecy, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, okay? So this is not just a male thing. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And the next category, what? Your young men shall see visions, okay? But what about the old guys? Your old men shall uh, do dreams. So it's both genders. It's all ages. And it's all classes. And on what? My men servants and my maid servants. Okay? And that likely is a reference to servants or slaves. Okay? What's that? What's that? Says slaves. In Joel, it does say slaves, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so you see, the, the, the spirit is going to be outpoured here without distinction. And that, of course, is the blessing of the new covenant. Everybody in the new covenant receives this blessing. Okay. And, and, and uh <clears throat> so I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Okay, so. So, what they are doing, they are prophesying. So, the tongues, tongues is prophecy in this passage. They are prophesying. They are prophesying in a different language, but they are prophesying. Okay? And if you get into the controversy about this stuff, of course, many people want to say their tongues is not prophecy because prophecy is infallible alright but they are prophesying make no doubt about it it's very clear they shall prophesy they shall I think it's three times in here so tongues equals prophecy biblical prophecy okay by the Holy Spirit Uh, and so that's what they were doing Uh, the Joel passage goes on I will show wonders in the heaven and signs in the earth, beneath blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, uh, of course, prophecy is one of the most difficult genres in scripture to interpret and there's different interpretations about the Joel prophecy. I understand the Joel prophecy to be covering the whole interadvental period in other words, Christ's first event and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to his second coming. And that this prophecy of Joel describes that period. See, we end with the second coming uh, type of signs and so forth. Uh, so that's, that's what I think is going on in verses 20 and 21. And during that period that Joel spans here, it's the period when the gospel is being spread. See, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord during, between first and second coming... Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Lord's gonna save them. So you got the microphone.
2: I would just like to point out that um uh the writer of Revelation, John, uh uses the same passage in Joel to talk about what happens after um in Revelation six. It's oh. he's quoting Joel too. Oh, uh, 18 and, yeah. uh, or it's 20-something. So oh, okay. I just wanted you to... That would right. kind of confirm a, what I'm saying yeah,
0: here. We have first advent, second advent. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. He uses the same language yeah.
2: that, that Peter does. There. Yeah.
0: and And I would understand that this whoever here is Jews and Gentiles. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that would go with all flesh up here. Though the immediate way all flesh is expounded, of course, is right there in the rest of that text. But uh, <clears throat> and and we're going to see. I would back that interpretation up by what happens in Acts chapter ten when the Holy Spirit comes upon those Gentiles that Peter is preaching to, and they start speaking in tongues. <laughs> okay, so um, that's a whole, that's a significant point in the Book of Acts is the all flesh, the Gospels, going to all of these nations represented by these different languages. So, um, let me see here. <clears throat> uh, okay. I already said that. Yeah, speaking in tongues the form of prophecy, meaning what? Bringing the Word of God. That's what prophecy is, to bring the Word of God. So they're bringing the Word of God... Um, Oh, I skipped uh I skipped a very okay, you've got to go back to page two seventy five on the left. Um Luke tells us, what are they doing? What are they talking about? And it's and it's there in is it verse thirteen? Uh where is it? Yeah, where is that? Eleven. 11. Okay. Yeah, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Yeah, that's what I want to stop. What is that? Oh, you know, you can kind of, Oh, Luke, you know, couldn't you just... Well, I would say there's a few ways that I think we can get pretty close as to what, what they're talking about. And remember now, they're prophesying, and... Um, the 120 are Jesus' witnesses. Okay, and the closest example of what their prophecy was like most likely are the examples of prophesying which occurred at Jesus' birth. You see, when we go to those examples, this exa- those, Luke writes... And and they prophesied, and Zacharias prophesied, and Simeon prophesied. So I think this prophecy is very much like those announcements at Jesus' birth, except now we've moved further, and we're announcing his death and resurrection. So I want to pop into those prophecies, and I think that is somewhat what these wonderful works of God are. And uh, we're going to go... We're going to go into Luke one sixty seven, and we have Zacharias, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and what does he do? And he prophesies. So this is exactly what's now happening on the day of Pentecost, but it's happening to all 120 of them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're prophesying, and of course they're going to be prophesying about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Okay, I mean, what what else are they what other wonderful works of God are they going to be talking about? They're going to be talking about the wonderful works of God that He's going to accomplish in His Son, the Messiah who has come. So I don't think it's a stretch and that God in Jesus has come to save Israel. That's what they're going to be talking about. And and so it's like Zacharias' prophecy. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, what for he has visited and what redeemed his people. And and what's Zacharias talking about? Talking about the coming of Jesus. Jesus is just a baby at this point. I mean, Jesus is not even born at this point. Okay. Well, no, no, he is. This is when his mouth is reopened. So Jesus is a baby. And this is what he's prophesying. So, I imagine that's what they're saying. They're they're picking up where Zacharias left off on the day of Pentecost. You know, the Lord God be blessed of Israel, for he has, what, visited and redeemed his people. What? He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. What? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. The Savior has arrived. I'll get to you in a moment, Jack. To perform the mercy, see, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to, to our father Abraham. These are the wonderful works of God that 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 he entered into this covenant with Abraham and he's now fulfilling it. The the seed of Abraham has come. And, and that's what they're prophesying. What? To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. That is, John the Baptist is going to be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. What? Listen to this. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins. These are the wonderful works of God. Zacharias is delivering this under the... Under the uh, he's prophesying by the Holy Spirit. So I think this is kind of a pattern of probably what, what they're doing. It's down these lines. Through the tender mercy of our God with which the dayspring on high has visited us. It keeps on going. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So there's a prophecy by the Holy Spirit given to Zacharias when, when uh, uh, John the Baptist was born. Okay. And so I think that's kind of what, we're, what they're doing I'm I'm gonna hold on Jack. I'm gonna I'm gonna read one more of these uh prophecies. We, we you know we could go to Simeon and uh uh where is Simeon? Is it Luke 225? Yeah, we we'll go to th- th- now this is at Jesus' birth, okay? And and Simeon's gonna prophesy. Behold, there was a man, uh <clears throat> there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. See what he's waiting for—the consolation of Israel. I was talking to one of you last Sunday about uh, the the remnant of believing Jews during the Old Testament period. Simeon is an example of one of those. Okay, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's his hope and his faith is—that's a title for the Messiah. The consolation of Israel is a messianic title, and and his hope is that God promised to send the Savior of Israel. And he believes that and that's where his hope is. And Simeon was one of those. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and what? The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up He took up in his arms, he took Jesus up into his arms and blessed God and said, and now here comes his prophecy, okay? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's just, it's so powerful, it's so wonderful. He's looking at this baby, but he knows that this baby is the king. He's the consolation of Israel. He's the Lord's Messiah. He knows that. the long-awaited Savior has come. He knows that. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now look at this. Which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. That's the Joel prophecy, right? I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So this is this is prophecy. And I think what when they are declaring the mighty works of God, the wonderful works of God, on that day it's about Jesus is the savior, the son of God, the Messiah, and he is now here and he's beginning to save Israel. Okay, Jack. Only, could, it, could we say that possibly, we can't read into this because it's not in the Scripture, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of those 120. Oh, that is in Scripture. And she probably spoke about her son. You know, I, I had never thought of that. Very, I, <laughs> she She is in that group. We know she's in that group. Mm-hmm. And we know they're all being given this gift. And, and we know from the Joel prophecy it's not just restricted to men, right? The Joel prophecy actually says your sons and your daughters. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that mm-hmm. if Mary was speaking in tongues about the wonderful works of God uh, through her son. you got an amazing mind, Jack. We can't read, we can't say that. that <laughs> we, we, it's not, it doesn't say that Mary spoke. You know? Right. But... But it, it says that those tongues were on all of them. I think it uses the term all earlier in, in the text. Very good. And that's what makes this class really good. We've got a, we got a connection to Revelation about the prophecy of Joel, and we've got this thought. Uh, uh, you know, Jack's, he, Jack's thinking through all those historical details. You see that? He's a... Uh, he kind of is there. You kind of transport yourself there, don't you, Jack? <laughs> in order to in order to come up with something like that. So um, so I think maybe that's about the wonderful works of God. That's what they're doing. Um, one other thing there on page two seventy five, bottom left. Um, <clears throat> also that Gentile proselytes with their different languages. Okay, now we know there are proselytes in this audience. It's, it's specifically pointed out there uh, in that list that Luke gives us. I think it's uh, Jews and proselytes from Rome, he says up there earlier. The fact that these Jews, um, let me back up here, Gentile proselytes with their language, with their different languages, and and Jews who know a Gentile language are hearing the wonderful works of God in these Gentile languages is making a major redemptive history point. See what I'm saying is we've got Gentile proselytes who know their Gentile language. Many of the Jews were bilingual, at least. So many of the Jews also know the language of these Gentiles. Okay, So we've got Gentile proselytes and Jews who know the language of these Gentiles, and we've got them both hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. And that makes this major redemptive point that the good news is now going to all nations.
1: Okay.
0: What advantage to the Jew? And what was that advantage? They were given the oracles of God, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 1. And the, 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 the Jews had this massive advantage over all the nations, because they were given the speech, the oracles of God. Now what's happening? The oracles of God are going in all these languages to all the nations. And to me, that is the major point of this Pentecostal experience. The time in redemptive history has come when it's no longer sequester the Jews and protect them from the Gentiles, the time has come when actually it's going to flip and God is telling these Jews, no longer sequester in the land, you get out of town and go to all of these idolatrous nations. And so this gift of prophecy of the great works of God in all of these languages, that that is the redemptive historical point We've reached that point in the history where the prophets talk about the Gentiles being called in. So, okay. All right, any uh, comments or, or questions at this point? Now, we are going pretty fast, right, Alexis? <laughs> I mean, we're well almost through chapter two. <laughs> no, we haven't got the p- uh Richard, uh, hand the mic to Richard.
1: Jack might like this <laughs> insofar as uh, the ritual or ceremony of confirmation, which is the, how would you say, presentation of the Pentecost, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit in the high church, so to speak, Catholics, Episcopalians, Lutherans, they all have confirmation for their uh, uh, teenagers, 16 is about the time that occurs, and you are instructed in doctrine, you know, officially, you know, either catechism or whatever, and that's, the ceremony is about agreeing with the doctrine, okay, and making a profession of faith.
0: You're talking about the Lutheran practice. Lutherans, yeah. and
1: Catholics, and Episcopalians, more yeah. or less. Yeah, those church. are similar. But one of the, not to get off uh, on a tangent, but in the Catholic ceremony, there is a moment, a sort of a laying, laying on of hands mm. moment with, you know, the bishop yeah. and, and, and the, the uh, child. But 16 but it, it's given at that age because that's the the age at which you can understand doctrine. Yeah. Okay. And there's a moment where the bishop touches you on your cheek oh. as if giving a slap. Yeah. It's that's what it's supposed to symbolize because it's it's expressing his authority. Okay, he he has the in 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 Paul's uh, instructions he has the authority to admonish right. and correct. And uh, Hebrews, so, obey your leaders and submit to them. So there's just that moment where. So, supposed, how does
0: that relate to the Holy
1: Spirit? You're supposed to obey. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but that's part of the authoritarian aspect of the bishop yeah. having authority over you in doctrine. You see, okay. and just as you do. Insofar as if someone in the congregation brings up something that's not doctrinal, you have an obligation to dispute it. Sure. By that, but it's just an, it's it's just part of their ritual. Okay. You know? yeah. But they but the Pentecost moment is is uh, how do you say ritualized in confirmation. Okay, and of course, that's
0: kind of where you started. You're saying that that in that Lutheran system. When they, do, when they do that ritual of confirmation, that they supposedly, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. you okay. Yeah, Catholic, okay. Episcopalian, and Lutheran. Well, yeah. you know, it was done to me,
0: and I don't remember. <laughs> and I surely didn't receive the Holy Spirit at that time. There was no, and there was no evidence, but it well, must have I mean, been done in that to claim, me.
1: I'm saying that they do. You know I know that that's that the r c s are they do hold to that that you receive uh the holy okay. spirit in okay, an I see the connection now yeah. With, you know, yeah.
0: yeah yeah, now it's interesting if we go to the scripture, number one, you won't find the practice of confirmation uh, <clears throat> number two there's no all the examples of receiving the Holy spirit in in the scripture are either in response to believing. You know, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, and those are the examples in the Book of Acts. We'll see quite a few of those. Yeah,
1: I'm not advocating it. No, saying I, I know you're not. That's no. what what occurs yeah. Yeah. in so far as uh, the yeah. ritualization of yeah. this moment. Yeah,
0: and that's that is kind of sad because the evidence of having received the Holy Spirit is faith and repentance. <laughs> And there was 3,000 of those folks on the day of Pentecost, which we're going to study, that received the Holy Spirit. And the first evidence of the Spirit's working is their conviction of sin. And that, of course, is what Jesus said, right? When the Helper comes, what's the first thing on the list? He will con- convict them of sin. Why? Why? because they do not believe in me. What happened on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 are convicted because of their unbelief that led to the crucifixion of the Messiah. You see that? That that John 16 that says what the Holy Spirit is going to do is on display right here in Acts chapter 2. If, if if you, you remember, uh, let me throw that passage up. That It's in John 16, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's in John 16, where he says, I'll send the helper. Yeah. No, or is it in 17? There. It's John 16. And he will convict... And when he comes, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Look at this. Of sin, what? Because they do not believe in me. And that's what they suddenly become overwhelmingly convicted about on the day of Pentecost. They didn't believe in Jesus. They rejected the Messiah. Okay? So there's your evidence of the Holy Spirit and you cannot Man does not have the power or the control over the Holy Spirit. That is His sovereign, the wind blows where it wishes, and so forth. We can preach the Word of God, that's been given to us, and we can pray. Beyond that, we do not have the power to say, Now you have the Holy Spirit. Give her, give give Wendy the microphone. I was going to say verse thirteen, right there. I'm just reading it there. However, when he the Spirit of Truth comes, he right. comes. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. Yes. So the, that's the Holy Spirit's job is to. Teach us and That's train us. That's absolutely right. Sp- right. And all, all, all the people of God have the blessing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but you know, I... I, I or I'm sidetracking us a little bit, but I'm a teacher, so I get to do that right now. <laughs> uh, I, I love this. Uh, no, no, the... Um, um, he will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. This is a great text to do evangelism with because initially what people are thinking you're going to do is you want, you want to talk about the morality of their life or the lack of the morality of their life and all this other stuff. That's not as important. You see, you can go to a text like this and say, you, you know why you're, why you're a sinner, why you're sinning? And and they're going to expect you to say, well, because I'm living with my girlfriend or something. No, you're sinning because you're not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. See that? That's powerful. That's the issue. And if you were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd either marry her or you'd break the relationship off. (laughs) Right? So... The Holy Spirit knows how to do evangelism, right? <laughs> so so this, yeah, this is a great connection to Acts chapter 2. Okay, well, it's 8. Uh, other, any other thoughts or, or questions? Jonah, you're going to lead us in prayer. And you have the microphone. You can do it. You can pray. Uh, I, uh, you're a member of this church. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Give it to Richard.
1: <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for affording us this uh, opportunity to study your word and feel secure in your grace and Mm. lord we we thank you for our fellowship and uh, we hold dear to uh, your comfort and love for us Mm. lord be with us through the rest of the week and through all business of life we ask this in jesus name amen amen